Hi, and welcome to Anatomyth. This month's story from Irish mythology is just another in a list of examples of why it's such a bad idea to get drunk at a party. It's also a good source of pointers for what to do if a king wrongs you, provided that you're a powerful goddess. And in the medical part, we're going to look at a method of pain relief that is also used for pain simulation, because we love a multi-purpose appliance. Anatomyth is a podcast about stories, conjecture, and the human body. Humans have long been using stories as a way to make sense of the world around them. This podcast looks at these stories, the myths, legends, lore, and fairy tales, and tries to find an aspect of medicine that fits in with certain aspects of fiction. I'm Audrey, your host. I'm a medical student who's always been interested in such stories, and I love looking for connections, even though they sometimes don't exist. Please remember that any recommendations I might make shouldn't be taken too seriously. I'm not yet a medical professional, and what I say shouldn't be counted as medical advice. Likewise, the proposed link between myth and medicine shouldn't be counted as fact. This is a podcast that's primarily for entertainment purposes, and it's filled with speculation and conjecture. This is episode 5, Free Labor. Today's myth is called The Pangs of Ulster, and it's a story from the Ulster Cycle, the second of four cycles of Irish mythology. It's a series of tales that's set in the 1st century CE, and mainly around the areas of Connacht and Ulster. It's not the most popular or prominent tale from the cycle, and it doesn't even mention Cúchulainn, who's one of the most popular heroes of Irish mythology, and who features very prominently in the cycle. Instead, The Pangs of Ulster is a bit more like a prequel to the main event which is the cattle raid of Cooley. It's also got all of the important elements for a successful myth. Horrible kings, terrible curses, broken promises, and drunk husbands. Not necessarily in that order. Overall, it's a pretty good setup for a heroic feat somewhere down the line. The crowd was going wild. There was probably a band of musicians playing somewhere, but the music could hardly be heard over the din of the crowd and the thundering of hooves on the ground. Horses streaked past as people cheered and clapped and shouted encouragements. Alcohol sloshed around in mugs, and somewhere, money was probably changing hands. Somewhere in this crowd was a man named Krennic, who yelled, cheered, and drank with the best of them. He was a farmer, and a pretty wealthy one at that, and he was pretty pleased at the moment. Here he was, a wealthy man with a gorgeous pregnant wife, attending an assembly where even the king's horses would race. Life was good. And sure, his wife was kinda weird. Like, she just showed up at his house one day, 
and just started doing the housework and cooking his meals. She was a hard worker and super strong. He'd seen her lift tubs of butter like they were nothing, and even pull a plowshare without breaking a sweat. She also ran like the wind, easily outpacing the fastest horses, and he'd never seen her tired, like ever. Now that he thought about it, his land and animals had become more bountiful since she'd arrived, and his wealth had grown enormously, too. He sometimes wondered if she was one of the she, the fae of Celtic mythology, but he'd never dared to ask her. Krennic took another swig. When he'd asked his wife to come to the assembly, she'd said no. This he accepted begrudgingly. After all, she was nine months pregnant, and due any day now, travel would be difficult. Of course, he could stay at home with her, but he really wanted to go to the assembly. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And sure, so was the birth of your child, but it would be so much more fun to hang out with people and brag, sorry, talk, about his gorgeous wife. But Maha, his wife, wouldn't let him talk about her, even going so far as to swear him to secrecy. What was the point in having a gorgeous, powerful wife if you couldn't even brag about it? He grumbled to himself as he took another swig of his beer. The whole reason he wanted to come to this horse race in the first place was to brag about his success and his beautiful, heavily pregnant wife who could do all of these amazing things. He signaled for another serving. He might as well enjoy the alcohol. Koenig couldn't remember how much he'd already had to drink, but he was pretty sure it was way more than he'd had in months. Presently, a cheer rose from the crowd. The king's horses were here, and they were majestic beasts. Large and powerful, with shiny coats, they would be fast, these horses. But, of course, his wife could outrun them. No question about it. Hadn't Krennic seen her do just that countless times? The cheer immediately fell to a hush, and the farmer looked up from his drink to see everyone nearby staring at him. Had he said that out loud? Oops. A man near him asked what he meant. Surely there was no way that a human, much less a woman, could outrun a horse. Krennic thought about this for a second, and, well, he really wasn't sure that his wife was human when it came right down to it. But even more important, there went his promise to said wife that he wouldn't brag about her. But then again, it wasn't like he meant to. It just slipped out. But as Krennic opened his mouth to insist that, yes, Maha could in fact outrun horses, the man beside him began laughing. This poor man. It was clear that Krennic couldn't handle his drink. The farmer flushed. Yes, he was probably a little tipsy, but that didn't mean that he was making things up. His wife really could outrun horses. He'd seen her do it many times with his own eyes. But no matter how much he would protest, others had joined in on the laughter. Koenig didn't realize how loud he'd been shouting in his frustration, until a man came up to him and cleared his throat. The king would like to see Koenig. You say that your wife can outpace my horses? The king asked, almost scornfully. Koenig could only stammer out that, 
Yes, well, I mean, she's done it before, and maybe not your horses, but, you know, certainly some horses. Certainly the horses back home, anyway. And, well, she could run really fast, you see. And Koenig saw her outrunning horses all the time, and... But the king cut him off. If the man's wife was as good as he said, then she would have no trouble in proving it in front of all of these people. Krennic was thrown into a cell, while Maha was summoned to the assembly. Once there, Maha protested and begged not to have to run the race. She was pregnant and would give birth soon. Surely the king wouldn't ask her to run a race? Oh, but he would. The king didn't see what the problem was. This woman's husband had said that she could very easily outrun horses. Surely such a trifling matter as a pregnancy wouldn't hold her back or slow her down in any way. If she really was as fast as Krennic said, then she would be just fine. That's what he said, anyway. But actually, he was really hoping that her pregnancy would slow her down. Maha tried again. If the king would at least let her give birth first, but no. She would run the race, and she would run it now, or else they would kill her husband. And so she had no choice but to race. She flew past, her footfalls light, and her copper hair flowing behind her. And as Krennic had said, she easily beat the king's horses. At the finish line, though, she goes into labor. And look, childbirth is difficult and dangerous enough all on its own, it used to be so easy for a woman to die during childbirth, between the blood loss, infection, eclampsia, and a number of other potential complications. Of course, with modern medicine, there's a lower rate of maternal mortality, but it's still definitely a cause for concern. So you take all of these complications of labor and childbirth, and then throw in a race, just because a dude couldn't keep his mouth shut. What do you think was going to happen? This poor woman dies while giving birth to twins. According to the story, this is actually where the name of the place, Eman Maha, comes from. It means the twins of Maha, and it was the capital of Ulster. Before she dies, Maha lays a curse on the men of Ulster, that for nine generations, every time Ulster was invaded and the men were needed the most, they would all fall down with pangs like hers, and would suffer for five days and four nights. They would be as weak as a woman in the throes of labor, and utterly useless in defending their land. Mythology and legends are rife with deities handing out punishments that are more than a little excessive. And there's a lot of punishing children to get back at their parents. We've got a bit of both here. And I get it, that was a horrible thing to make someone do. But also, why not curse just the king to experience labor pains, and at really random times? That way, on top of experiencing frequent bouts of pain, he would always be on edge, not knowing when the next episode will come and he'd be the only one to pay for his own cruelty. A version that I came across added that 
Maha cursed all the men of Ulster because no one at the assembly tried to come to her aid and make the king see reason. But let's be real, who's gonna be that one person to stand up to the king and go, hey, this is maybe not the most humane thing to do? I mean, kings in mythology aren't exactly the most reasonable people to begin with. And this guy in particular was trying to force a woman on the brink of childbirth to outrun his horses just because of something that a drunk man said. Things probably wouldn't have ended well for whichever poor idiot tried to tell the king to maybe back down just a smidge. Also, I have to admit it's kind of genius, cursing an entire land. Just imagine how much you'd hate your king if you had to experience excruciating pain whenever anyone tried to invade, all because of something that he did. This story also plays on a trope of fairy spouses or lovers, where a non-mortal stays with a mortal, but only for so long as the mortal keeps a promise or fulfills a requirement, which are generally pretty easy to do. Like, just don't go into that one specific room in the house, or just don't brag about how fast your wife can run. Once that promise is broken, the fairy or deity or whoever they are leaves their mortal spouse, usually never to be seen again. And yeah, Maha's really more of a goddess than a fairy. She's a goddess of sovereignty, horses, and one facet of the triple war goddesses. But the point still stands. And while we're on the subject of husbands, can we talk about Krennic for a second? Not only did this man think that a party was way more important than staying home for the birth of his child, or children in this case, but also did the one thing his wife asked him not to do. Like, I know that he's not the most terrible spouse in mythology, but he's not winning any Husband of the Year awards either. All of that said, this is one of my favorite stories from Irish mythology. There's no other way to explain how I felt upon reading the ending except absolute glee. Sure, it's a little excessive to curse nine generations of men with birth pains for five days, but at least these men are just in pain and not actually dead. Also, if you think about it, most of these men would either go on to have children or have already had them, and so at least they'll have first-hand experience of the pain of childbirth. But before we go any further, here's a message from our sponsors. Eaglestones are the answer to every expecting mother's prayers. These stones protect the health of both mother and baby, and when the time comes, they shorten and ease childbirth. But there's been growing concern over the fraudulent and unethical aspects of Eaglestone mining. In response, Miracle Minerals is introducing their new line of Marchesa Eaglestones, guaranteed real, top quality, and fair trade stones available in a range of sizes so you can find the one that's perfect for you. Miracle Minerals. Minerals for the conscious user. So why spend a lot of time on YouTube? It's my go-to place for procrastination, and my algorithm it gets a little weird. A few years ago, 
this video popped up on my feed. It was about a bunch of guys who were asked to try simulated labor pains. They were each hooked up to this small, kind of clunky device with cables coming out of it. At the ends of the cables were electrodes. These are adhesive square patches that are placed on the skin. Not going to lie, it was a little horrifying to hear the screams, but also kind of great. People who don't have uteruses can never experience the miracle of childbirth, which for many involves an untold amount of hours of labor pain. And because they can't experience any of that naturally, it's great to see that they can at the very least know how bad labor pains can be. The machine that these guys were hooked up to is called a TENS machine or a TENS unit. TENS stands for transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. To break that down just a bit, cutaneous is anything that has to do with the skin. So the name TENS just basically describes what the device does. It stimulates nerves by using electrical pulses which are passed through the skin. TENS is actually a pain relief method, if you can believe it. And using electricity for pain relief has been around for a while now. It's believed that the earliest concept dates all the way back to a Roman physician in something like 60 CE. The physician, named Scribonius Largus, would suggest that his patients come into contact with some kind of oceanic electric fish. I'm assuming that he meant electric eels, because there are actually ancient records of these eels being used for therapy. Using electricity for pain management only took off from there, and by the 18th century, electricity wasn't just used for pain relief. There were loads of devices that could deliver electric exposure that were meant to cure everything from headaches to cancer. TENS doesn't claim to cure cancer. In fact, it already has enough trouble trying to prove that it really can help manage pain. Sure, it's been used for many years now for back pain, joint and tendon pain, pain management after surgery, and even labor pain but to varying and even controversial results. Some studies say that it works, whereas other studies say, eh, not really. Theories on how TENS works, if it does work, are based around something called the gate control theory of pain. You know how sometimes when you hit your elbow or you stub your toe and you reach down and rub the area, it seems like it's not as painful anymore? The gate control theory tries to explain why that happens. So, first of all, there's not just one long nerve fiber that stretches from like your arms or the different organs of the body into the spinal cord and all the way up into the brain. What we have is more of a series of neurons, which will bring the signals up to the brain so that they can be interpreted. Also, there are different receptors which can sense pain or vibration or stretching of the skin. Basically, these receptors are specialized to a certain kind of stimulus. And so these receptors, being the ones that will sense that stimulus, they'll then pass it on to the next neuron, and then those signals will be sent to the next neuron, and so on, kind of like a relay race. So let's say that there's a painful stimulus like 
maybe you stubbed your toe on a door frame. The receptors which sense pain, which are called nociceptors, they release substances which tell the next neuron in the chain, called the sensory neuron, that, hey, it's painful, pass it on. This sensory neuron is now going to take that message and bring it into the spinal cord, where there's a whole bunch of other neurons. Some of them are bringing messages from other nociceptors or pain receptors, and others are taking messages from the receptors for deep touch, or temperature, or whatever else. There are also neurons here which take these messages from all of these many, many sensory neurons, and they bring them up to the brain. These are called secondary neurons. So what can happen here is different sensory neurons are able to synapse on the same single secondary neuron and basically fight over whose message gets to be transmitted to the brain. I like to think of it as a very disorganized post office with very rude people all fighting to get their mail to the counter first. But let's go back to our sensory neuron with a painful stimuli. It's already there and it's ready to release substances to the secondary neuron. The substances, by the way, are called neurotransmitters. They're basically chemical messages that get sent by the neurons to tell your brain how to feel. When suddenly you reach down and you rub your toe, what this does is it activates deep touch receptors, which do pretty much the same thing that the pain receptors did. They'll send neurotransmitters to another neuron. The difference is that now we have activation of what's called an inhibitory neuron because it releases signals that inhibit the painful stimuli. This guy can basically stop the other sensory neurons from releasing neurotransmitters and at the same time, it can affect the secondary neuron and lead to less intense pain stimulus that would be sent up to the brain. So that's the gate control theory. That's why it seems to hurt a little less when you rub a painful area. It's not just a placebo effect, there's actually something going on at the level of your nerves. And that's also the idea behind why the tense works, or should work. There's an electric stimulation of the other sensory neurons, which would then in turn inhibit the neurons which transmit pain signals. There might also be a release of endorphins, which are kind of like the natural painkillers of the body. There's also a pretty high level of customizability of the electric current of the tense unit. In terms of intensity, frequency, and pulse width, which is the duration of the electrical pulse. In line with this, there are different types of tense. One kind might use a higher intensity but a lower frequency, Another type might use just the opposite, and with a shorter pulse width as well. It's by using these different settings that we can target different kinds of fibers and use the tens to manage different kinds of pain and in different areas of the body. Tense units are small, battery-operated devices. There are wires which extend from the device with patches on the end. Like I mentioned earlier, these are electrodes. You put them on your skin, and the current flows through these and into your body. My favorite thing about using this method to simulate labor pain is that TENS has actually been used to relieve labor pain, particularly something called back labor. 
Back labor is when a pregnant woman experiences back pain because of the particular position of the fetus. So when the fetus is lying with the hard part of its skull pressing against the mother's spine, it compresses the nerves in that area and causes pain in the lower back. While it seems like the TENS is effective in relieving some pain during labor, a lot of reviews of large, large numbers of studies have found that the evidence supporting its claims to benefit are weak at best, and sometimes even downright inconclusive. Also, even though there's widespread use of TENS as a method of pain relief in early labor, there are recent recommendations which say that it shouldn't be used later on, when the labor is well established. I don't actually know why I couldn't access said guidelines for free to see if they explained it. But whether it really helps in labor or not, TENS doesn't seem to cause harm to the mother or newborn when it's used, so there's that at least. Labor isn't the only case where TENS is used to manage pain. Most of the time, it's considered for use in chronic pain, which is long-standing pain that lasts about three months or more. It's estimated that up to 20% of the adult population experiences moderate to severe chronic pain. That's a worrying statistic, especially if you consider how much it can affect quality of life. There are emotional impacts, changes in behavior and mood, and even cognition. Chronic pain has actually been found to alter brain structures, and it can become more complex as time goes on, making it harder and harder to treat. TENS is also used in rehabilitation and physical therapy, particularly for something called spasticity. After a spinal cord injury, there might be enough nerve damage that some muscles can't function properly. Spasticity presents as muscle stiffness or spasms, and it can cause pain or even muscle contractions, which would interfere with your movement. But just like with its usage in labor, there are lots of studies investigating its efficacy in managing chronic pain and spasticity, but there's very little actual consensus on whether it's beneficial or little better than a placebo. A few studies do show that using it has led to short-term improvement in patients with spasticity, but that it's not the most effective method that uses electrical stimulation for this purpose. Also, similar to what happens with medications, TENS has been known to decrease in efficacy the longer that you use it. There's also an issue with skin allergies. The most common side effect of the TENS method is a redness or itching of the skin because of a reaction to the adhesive patches. TENS devices do have a lot of advantages though. First of all, they're portable, battery operated, and can be small enough to fit into pockets. They're also not too expensive, and in many places, it's not difficult to get your hands on a unit. Also, unlike medications, you can't really overdose with a TENS unit. I mean, you might crank it high enough to feel pain or discomfort, but that's not really the same thing as an overdose. And speaking of pain, we come back to the main point of this episode. The TENS unit, while used to manage pain, can also be used to simulate labor pain. By placing the electrodes on your abdomen and maybe even the lower back, and if you max out the intensity, 
you'll get these very intense muscle contractions that can simulate labor contractions. It's important to remember, though, that what you would experience with a labor pain simulation is really just an approximation of labor pain. In real labor, your entire abdomen contracts and the back muscles are also involved, and it's not just an external pain, which is what you'd feel with a labor simulator. You have internal pain as well, and there's tearing, and the contractions don't just last for as long as you can take them before tapping out with a safe word. Labor usually lasts for several hours, and at times can even take well over 24. And going back to our story, you can probably imagine what five days and four nights of labor pains would do to an entire army of men. If you want to try out a TENS device, whether that's to relieve pain or cause pain, listen, I'm not judging, consider checking with a doctor first. As I mentioned, it's very easy to get your hands on one of these units, but not everyone can use this method. People who have pacemakers, for example. A pacemaker is a device that's implanted in your chest and it regulates heartbeat. It's used for people who have certain heart conditions where their heartbeat is irregular or abnormal. And because a pacemaker sends out impulses to keep your heart beating properly, it makes sense that any other electrical stimulation can interfere with this. There are also certain areas of the body that you shouldn't place the electrodes, like over your heart, or the front of your neck, or even your eyes. So these are not all of the contraindications, there are a few other don'ts, all of which are generally written in the manufacturer's manual, which comes with the unit, together with the instructions for use. To be completely honest, I felt a little let down by the research findings of TENS. But that's kind of the beauty of science though, isn't it? Facts and research aren't dependent on how much you agree with them, or how satisfied you are with the results. But I've mentioned this before, and I'll say it again. One of my favorite things about humans is that we have a knack for using things that can harm us in much more beneficial ways. And I was really rooting for electrical stimulation to be another one of those things. However, TENS isn't the only method which uses electrical pulses to stimulate nerves. And there are other methods out there that are showing more promise, like functional electrical stimulation, or FES. So the Ulster Cycle was written down in manuscript form between the 12th and 15th centuries. But the stories were very likely handed down for centuries before then. Now, I'm not saying that the people in whatever century knew that one day civilization would become so advanced that we'd have something that can stimulate labor pains. Although that would be really cool. No, this episode is much less this is maybe what the myth was based on, and just more of an interesting coincidence. Next month, we're talking about hair, and how much weight human hair can actually support. We'll explore some stories where hair is used to support or move very heavy things. We'll maybe even look at a real-life example of this.
If you like the show, please subscribe to it on your preferred podcast app. And please rate the show and leave a review. It helps to get the word out about the show, and I really appreciate getting feedback. Also, tell your friends about it. You can reach the show on social media, whether to suggest a topic, discuss whether you thought Mac's curse was too excessive, not severe enough, or just about right. Or maybe you just want to say hi. Also, let me know if you would ever consider trying a TENS device, for pain relief or otherwise. You can find the show on Twitter at anatomythpod and on Instagram and Facebook at anatomith. You can also send an email to audrey at anatomith.com. Links to the website and social media are in the show notes. I'm Audrey, your host, and this was Anatomith. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.